Welcome to the Magellan Podcast, navigating education in the 21st century. This podcast brings the expertise of Magellan Learning Solutions to the biggest questions and issues in higher education. It is produced and directed by Adam Rank. The podcast theme was written and recorded by Wayne Patton, and it features Magellan partners Wayne Patton, Aaron Traphagen, and Emily Hetty. RSI, or Regular and substantive interaction has caused a lot of heartburn among schools that offer online instruction. What does RSI mean, and how might you best approach it on your campus? Joining the Magellan Partners is guest Terry Milroy, Coordinator of Education Technologies at Southside Virginia Community College. Thank you for joining us today, Terry. Thanks for the intro, Adam. Uh, hello, folks. My name is Aaron Trappigan. Uh Co-founder CEO at Magellan Learning Solutions. Pleased to welcome you to the inaugural episode of the Magellan Podcast. Uh, as Adam, <laughs> oh, should we have the? Uh... Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. First time on the board. Well, uh... <laughs> as Adam mentioned in the introduction, our intent here is to take what we see as some of the bigger issues in education, specifically online education, and dig into the meat of those issues together. Uh, before we jump into today's topic, uh, I ask Wayne Patton, CEO here at Magellan, to share a little bit about who we are and what we do. Thanks, Aaron. I really appreciate that uh, elaborate introduction. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Um, so Magellan started very organically. Um, we were all working at a, a large uh, institution with a, a vibrant online um, uh, division, and um, uh, institutions would just start to call and ask if we could help. And so uh, it started with just some consulting and over the years developed into a little bit of a client base where uh, eventually in 2017, we stood up Magellan Learning Solutions, uh, where we offer a range of services from content development, uh, academic operations. We have a large network of uh, instructional designers, SMEs. Uh, people that really run the gamut across the skill set needed to run uh, an academic institution, specifically a lot of skills in the in the online arena, a network of about 350 people now that we um, engage for projects, uh, seek their expertise. Uh, it's kind of a, if we don't know everything, we know someone that does approach, and that's that served us well. It served our clients well. So we've been going strong for over five years now, and um, and like Aaron said, jumping into this podcast realm, uh, we could have a good time at a funeral. We laugh a lot. We have a good time doing what we do. Uh, we we love our clients, and um, and um, I'll turn it over to to Dr. Emily Hetty, our chief academic officer, and uh, let her pick it up from there. Okay, so um, I just came on to Magellan in the last couple of months. Um, Business has grown, and um, we needed somebody to take the lead on the more specifically academic questions. Um, the really, really fun first one of those that we've gotten to take on is RSI. Um, it's it's a complicated question right now because, um, like like many things that come from the federal government, from our accreditors, so on, um, it's not incredibly well-defined. So at this point, we're working off a series of principles and best practices that uh, schools um, that are offering online instruction need to build into their curriculum. Um, they need to see interactions that are instructor-initiated, that happen regularly and frequently, that are meaningful, and that are academic in nature. What exactly that means? Still up for grabs. And that's some of what we're going to be talking about today. I'm really glad that we can talk about that, though, with Terry Milroy. Um, Terry, you, um, your partner Keith at um, Southside are 
two of the very, very first people that we've been able to have this conversation with. And I know you are on top of it. So welcome, Terry. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing in this realm and um, other related things? Well, first, thank you all for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Um, Southside is part of the Virginia Community College Consortium. So we have been working with the VCCS, but especially in our own institution, to develop best practices for our faculty and also to support uh, creating design course design that is going to help our faculty be more successful. Uh, I am also the chair of the e-learning and educational technologies committee for the VCCS, and we have done professional development for all 23 of the Virginia community colleges on the subject of RSI because it is so amorphous. We don't really know exactly how accreditors are going to look at it. The language is somewhat ambiguous, but we've done our best to create videos and webinars and some handouts for faculty to give them a head start in doing this and trying to do it well. Great. And uh, with that, uh, we really appreciate you being here, Terry. Uh, let's uh, dive into kind of the first topic, which is really this idea that uh, online education has been around a while, uh, and we've seen it go from what Wayne affectionately termed the Wild West of uh, online education uh, into a, a much more well-oiled machine kind of model. People have really kind of figured some things out, and, and it's running pretty smooth. But given the background of all of that, you know, how does RSI fit into that? How did we get from there to here? Uh, and why do we need RSI? So I think uh, one of the, the fun ways to jump into this is maybe to talk about some of the, the horror stories we're familiar with uh, from the Wild West days that got us here. Uh, Wayne, if you wanted to. Yeah, and, and I think it's it's still the Wild West, right? Uh, though uh, there's been a lot of improvements in online, a couple of the big players have really been doing what we would think of as RSI for a while. It's kind of that, that notion of... Um, holding, you know, a standard of what presence in an online course looks like, what does feedback look like, what does timeliness look like, what does collaboration uh, group learning look like, uh, student to faculty interactions and vice versa. So uh, a lot of folks have, have really been doing this for a while, but increasingly as, as every school of every size stands up uh, an, an online division or a program or two, um, they will often build courses. And we kind of sometimes call that the field of dreams approach. You know, they'll, they'll build content, but maybe don't necessarily put an academic operations model in place or a marketing plan in place or an evaluation or assessment process in place. And so students will start to, to, to come into a program, but there aren't really any rules of engagement yet. And, and sometimes where there are rules of engagement, there's not really an assessment or evaluation of those policies and procedures and so it, it does create some what we call horror stories. Uh, and, and a lot of that really boils down to, to, from what I've heard over the years, it's really about presence. It's faculty presence. It's a, a student will come into maybe even a well-designed online course or not a so well-designed course, but there will be no presence in the sense of there's no announcements, there's no faculty profile, there's no kind of human factor there. So that's very common. And then week after week, there's it doesn't uh, improve, right? So when they get into a course for the first time, it's there's no presence. Uh, and then it hits when assignments come due, right? So a, a student will submit something in week two, and they won't get any feedback for a week or two or three. Or when they do get feedback, it'll be minimal. Sometimes it will just be a grade. 
uh, with no feedback. We have a joke, uh, literally a story where someone wrote on a paper, nice job, dog. And they were, I think they were trying to be relevant and cool or whatever. And so they, you know, they typed um, on the paper and submitted it through the LMS. Nice job, dog. It's kind of the, the worst example uh, we can think of. But also there's, there's the notion of just um, uh, the, the total lack of kind of a student support aspect as well, where faculty, uh, I've, I've, I've seen cases where they would literally tell students not to contact them and that everything is in the course that they need, um, don't contact me. And uh, I was witness to this in a program that it only had about 10 students in this particular program, and through insider information, really through the actions of one faculty member who was a very uh, distant, non-relational, online faculty member, uh, that program eventually was down to just one or two students. So the impact of, of, of this is is great because it creates some some ground rules that some institutions just don't have, and it creates the mechanism where we need to kind of assess that as well. So that's kind of a, a general horror stories, but I think Terry, you've got a few as well. Yeah. So I came to Southside 16 years ago now, and my very first day, I was told that I was taking over the course for another faculty member. And that faculty member came to me and said, I've given them permission to copy my content for you. If you're smart, you won't touch it. I said, why is that? And he said, because I have it set up so that I never have to look at it. It's all read this chapter, take this quiz, read this chapter, take this quiz, and then the final exam is also auto-graded. So all you have to do is answer email. And at that time, we had 72 business hours to respond to student email and, uh, I looked at him and I said, and how is that teaching? <laughs> because, you know, to me, why would you have a course where the instructor was never a part of it? That's self-teaching. That, that has nothing to do with it. Um, and, and we do have, even today, we have some people who learned online learning when it first came out. And RSI was not something that was part of the conversation. And it's not necessarily their fault but we know now, because of the pandemic and things that have happened before it, students need to see a person in there. They need to feel like there is a touchstone of humanity in a course, or many students can't be successful. And so that's one of the reasons that we have really pushed it uh, at Southside and with the VCCS. And um, to your credit, Terry, I mean, I, you all have made some of the structural changes that are needed to help RSI happen. I think we've all run across situations with really good faculty members who want to do this right, but they're teaching 10 sections. Yeah. You know, they can't really do a whole lot to engage all of those 250 students regularly and substantively um, because they're just too busy. Um, that's not going to happen on your campus because you've said it's not going to happen. Um, so kudos yeah. to you for that. Well, and I appreciate that. But there has been some structural changes. We had English composition sections that had 45 students in it. An instructor cannot grade 45 10-page composition papers in a couple of days and give good feedback. So it's been a process to figure out how we can support faculty in doing better, as well as asking them to do the things that need to be done. Yeah, and we were kind of pre-gaming this conversation a little bit, and, and one of the solutions is been kind of massive automation of courses but the data indicates as we get further into the the online realm and people start to write and research in this niche that students are hungry for 
more than automation. Yes. And more than just having a publisher experience of resources within a learning management system. They, they want um, connection. Uh, and probably post-COVID more than ever. And again, we're definitely still in the wild west of, of that piece of online learning. Well, and and if you jump into just the learning piece of that, and, and I know something in the office we've been talking a lot about in preparation for a future secret podcast, um, <laughs> is cognitive load. And, and just to think about kind of the extraneous load on a student as they have no idea what they've done right or wrong because they're not provided feedback and, of course, the course builds. So then the next assignment comes that they're supposed to have had feedback so they can improve and correct and make changes. And meanwhile, then it just kind of sends them into a tailspin. So, you know, it's not just operationally, but, I mean, the, the whole student learning experience is impacted as well. Well, I think okay. what we've shown is it comes, it comes from a need. Yes. yes. There was a need for this. It mm-hmm. wasn't just uh, bogus legislation or bureaucracy mm-hmm. uh, in motion. Um, it, was, it was clearly a need for this. And, and again, I think, I don't know how these came about. We'll dig into that a little more, but clearly some of these large institutions, um, like the Southern New Hampshire's, like Grand Canyon, like a couple of the state systems, Liberty has a, a large online program, Phoenix back in the day, they had these systems in place and they were stressed heavily. So, you know, that there's, there's a model that this does work. And then the research suggests these things do have an impact on student success, retention, learning, et cetera. So. Okay. No, I mean, that's, that's great. So, you know, we've kind of talked about where we, we came from and, and what it's looked like, why we're, where we're at. But what is RSI, uh, Emily? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and we're all still <laughs> kind of um, grunting at each other and saying things like, ugh. They haven't exactly said what they mean by RSI, and that's, that's true. I'm not sure who they is, um, but they have not said that. Um, we have some principles to follow. Um, four of them are more specific than the fifth, um, but the four are um, that there needs to be direct instruction. So what that means is you can't outsource your teaching to something like Khan Academy. Um, you also can't just play a 20-year-old video and call that instruction um, in an extreme case. What that means in best practice we can talk about um, does mean things like that you need to offer – real feedback um, on student work. You need to assess them in a way that's individualized to them and that will help them improve. Um, You need to be available for question and answer, um, and you need to um, keep that very relevant to the course. You need to be instructor-led in that. So simply saying um, that if you want to contact me at some point in the term, if you have a question, feel free to shoot me an email. That's not RSI. That's just answering your email. Um, RSI would be something like, I'll be here from five to six, or please submit your questions and we will have a session, or I will get you feedback on those. That's different. Um, It's something like um, monitoring or facilitating a group discussion, whether that's electronically or through something like Zoom or Teams. And then number five, the vague one, is other institutionally approved means of having interactions that are regular and substantive. Now, examples that I think pretty much every campus I've researched has said are good um, are things like, like we mentioned, right, a live instruction session. You know, you get on a video, you do this. Or maybe something like if you're asynchronous. Um, I teach English, so um, if I've had a set of papers come in and I notice three or four common errors, I send out an announcement where I explain what those errors are and how to avoid them the next time. That's that's good. Um, something like just an announcement that says, hey, everybody, hope you have a great week. I'll be out of the office on Thursday. That is not regular and substantive interaction. That's just an announcement. Um, other things that are good, um, in-time instruction, right, things that are responsive to what you see happening in the class in whatever form that needs to take. 
um, assessment, again, with feedback, not machine graded, um, but real feedback that shows that you, the instructor, have looked at what the student has done, have thought about it, and have given them ways to improve. Um, things like regular office hours and sessions, study sessions, for instance, things like that can can fit this. And absolutely, 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 something like reaching out to students that are drifting. Um, maybe you want to do a reach out to every student that got a C or lower on their first paper or test. Um, maybe you notice the students haven't posted anything in the class for four or five days. A reach out like that counts. It's instructor initiated. It's inviting the student back in. Now, I, one thing I do want to emphasize is, it tends to work better um, when you build RSI into course design and into policies um, rather than expecting every faculty member to figure out how to do it for himself or herself. That's very challenging to expect that. So you design the course right on the front end, you can cover this. Absolutely. And, you know, Emily went over a lot of the options that faculty have. I think that the other thing that has been a little bit overwhelming for faculty who haven't gotten a clear sense of what RSI means is you don't have to do all of this every day, right? The legislation requires that two RSI elements be incorporated every single week of an asynchronous course. And so maybe that's an announcement that has some of that remedial instruction that Emily mentioned. And maybe it's also feedback on a paper, Um a lot of my faculty have been like, I can't do this for 35 students in a class. And, and you don't have to do all four of them at one time. And so giving faculty the sense of you have some control here. You know, where does it fit best? And it doesn't have to be the same two every week. If it works well with these two this week and two different ones the next week, that's okay. Right. So, of course, knowing that you've laid out your course so that, you know, maybe large papers that require feedback or are spread out and those maybe aren't on the same weeks that you have discussion interactions do that you have to engage with, um, you know, which I thought was another great point. A, a lot of times uh, Wayne talks about this a lot is just how how uh, <laughs> how uh, difficult discussion boards can be in an online class. They've not typically been. And in my own experience, They've tended to be sort of ungraded small papers. Uh, they've not represented interaction well um, with other students or even with the faculty member. But, you know, using that discussion forum and actually getting in there and engaging with students where they expect you to be in there helping guide the conversations, another great way faculty can, can do that. And I think we've all taught online and um, we've all done a discussion board where we didn't maybe lead it as strongly as we should have. Um, yeah. And then it just mm-hmm. ends up with, you know, 20 students saying, I agree, yeah. or I disagree. Um, you made a good point here. Yeah, people yeah. need to be taught to engage, yes. right? And um, this is one of those soft skills that, um, that college teaches along with the content of the course. Um, you know, how do you talk to other humans? It's not always the easiest thing. And, and, there, and there's precedent for it, too. If you look at social media, if you look at, you know, news groups, if you look at, you know, Q&A threads uh, on the Internet, there's vibrant discussions about, uh, you know, I'm I'm a hack musician, and I'm always looking for tips on home recording, and I'll go to certain sites, and it's all just the, the you know the, the typed word like a discussion board, and massive information is exchanged there about how to work this piece of software, and so it's about the question people were interested in the questions in this case home recording, and so people tuned in and asked more questions, and it fed the discussion. So. To Aaron's point, if it's well-designed, it, it can really foster, and data indicates if it's well-designed, students really will engage. Well, and, and that's you can get that in the course design part as part of that regular, right? Yep. So if right. you build it in such a way that students know and expect 
that interaction is going to come. They're looking for that feedback from that faculty. You know, it creates that responsiveness. So, I mean, that's that's great. And, and there is those two words, so it's regular and substantive, right? Uh, so creating that regular nature is very easy to do if you look at it from the design perspective. Um, what's not always easy to do in the design side is the substantive, right? And so that's that operational part where you as a faculty member have to understand the difference between good job dog and, and can, um, you know, can a student do something with the feedback you're providing? Um, and I think we had a, a good conversation briefly before about, you know, who can provide substantive feedback, right? And so, Terry, you gave, you know, a great example. We're talking about advisors and, and faculty and who that needs to be. Yeah, you know, when you talk about substantive feedback, sometimes we think that an advisor giving, you know, some information about a course is feedback. It really, you know, faculty are the subject matter experts. They are the content creators in a lot of cases, and they are definitely the content experts. They need to be the ones who engage students and engage them with specific elements of the content. You know, I think we've had some faculty in the past who thought that just high-level discussions about the subject generally constituted real feedback and real substantive interaction with students. But students really, they're not high-level people, especially at the the lowest levels of courses. They need the nitty-gritty. They need the details. And so when faculty go in and talk very specifically about one topic of the course, that's where students get the most value. Yeah, absolutely. And and so we've talked about things like that and some feedback on assignments, discussion engagement, uh, announcements. What are some other places, you know, that faculty could look to create? Like, so Emily mentioned briefly, like recorded videos, you know, not necessarily representing RSI, but is there a way to create a, an RSI kind of experience around some of those those recording pieces? Sure, sure. I think there is. Um, I mean, one, one thing that... Uh we have to watch with videos is the recycling aspect, right? Because that's not really at that point direct instruction, um, or at least it, it may not be direct instruction. It's it's kind of hazy there. Um, what what would be real though, I think, is um, you know taking some time to really talk through, for instance, assignment guidelines. So you know you all have this paper due next week, um, and it's asking you to find a problem in your hometown and to do some research and to propose a solution, something like that. Um, Maybe then you take five minutes and you would describe a problem in your hometown. Um, you know, we're sitting here in Lynchburg and traffic circles are a problem. So here is my research on traffic circles and here's a funny picture. Um, and that is real and it's humanizing. Um, and I love an assignment like that, especially with lower level students, because they already feel a little bit like experts. If it's something that deals with their hometown, they're far more likely to engage if they already feel some confidence. Um, and I think that you can invite the substantive interaction piece back from the students by setting up your question properly. Um, so I think that's that's one way you could maybe use a video to start that. Yeah, examples are so good. You know, we've seen that students do so much better when you give them an example of what you're actually looking for, whether that's, you know, doing an, a video, whether that's creating a you know, example paper and saying, here's, you know, a great introductory paragraph and how you transition into the general content of the paper and giving them something to actually look at and mirror makes such a difference for most students. So is there a way with some of those great examples, are there things we should definitely not consider RSI? I mean, I know there is. I'm just queuing you all up. Well, something that you got from somewhere else would be one example. Yeah, (laughs) right. That would not be instructor initiated. Yeah, you know, we um, 
<laughs> we had some faculty who took YouTube videos and posted them and said that was direct instruction. And we're like, you're not in that. Um, but, you know, you could use them if you said, let's watch this video, you know, watch this video. And then I've got a separate amount of text that I'm providing you that says, you know, now as you listened, you know, they made this point and here's why this is important to the subject that we're doing today. You can make it work, but it requires effort on your part. Um, And Emily mentioned, you know, recycling videos. You also don't want to recycle videos with other students in them for FERPA reasons. (laughs) One is also a lot of those things that there is interaction with students as a faculty member that that may not be RSI. So just because you're interacting with a student, I mean, a lot of those administrative functions of, you know, just posting grades. Well, you know, if I really want to be that technical person that's providing some form of feedback, but it's not substantive feedback. Uh, entering grades, answering emails. I mean, just about administrative things. Hey, I, I'm going to be late in the course, you know, to submit this assignment isn't a substantive in, interaction in regards to the academic content of the course. Um, yeah. And again, I mean, I think, Terry, you made this point earlier. Every element of every course doesn't have to be RSI. That's right. right. And there's absolutely a need to simply just post the grade in a quick fashion sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a place for have a great weekend, um, as an announcement or as an email out to the class. It's not RSI, but it's a good thing to do, right? It's humanizing. It's a good practice. Um, so don't ban all of that, yeah. right? Just make sure you do the other stuff. That's right. You know, especially like the first week of class saying, hey, remember, you know, your first discussion is due tomorrow. If there's anything I can do to help, remember this, this, and this, I, you know, here's my cell number in case you've lost it. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. And, and so I'll only bring up the concept of what's not RSI, RSI, excuse me, from the perspective of, I think every time there's a regulation, people jump to like, just, well, this is already counts. I don't need to do something. Well, you may not need to do anything else, but everything also, like you said, Emily doesn't need to be RSI or qualified as RSI. If we're just doing good online teaching and learning, honestly, we probably don't even need to, to do too much work to the course we have and, and how we're teaching it. Uh, so doing those small things uh, is great uh, as individual faculty members, but then, of course, all of this happens inside of, you know, the, the larger context of an institution. Uh, so how in this, this new realm of RSI and the requirements, now that it is a requirement, um, you know, how do, how do institutions kind of shift the culture around this? Uh, Terry, you had some thoughts here? Yeah, so the VCCS, we basically went about it from the perspective of we have too many faculty members to try to address them individually, um, especially from my committee's perspective, because we were in charge of explaining RSI to 10,000 faculty. It was too many to address individually, so we elected to do a top-down approach. We went to the chief academic officers, who are generally the vice presidents of academics, and said, here's what it is. Here's why it's critically important to the health and safety of your institution. Um, you know, here's a list of do's and don'ts. We need you to support us. And then they took it to their faculty senates and their deans, and it kind of trickled down that way. Yeah, and then I think from uh, getting in the, the weeds about that, how do, you, how do you really make these things happen? How do they become part of the culture and the actions of – faculty and administration and it a lot of what we've done at Magellan over the years goes back to really helping establish policy and procedures that that now we see as RSI we used to call them everything from quality assurance model to uh, kind of a customer service model the the bad word in higher education Um, 
but really the establishment, I think, of practical policies that, that make it clear um, what would establish presence, what is good feedback, what is timeliness, how to engage a discussion board. It's, it's really establishing the standard, training to the standard, giving, giving faculty the support they need uh, to make it happen, and then the third piece was always kind of an assessment of that. We've established policies, um, make sure people are clear on the mission, and then just like so much of higher ed, there's, you know, there's portfolio process, there's all sorts of things where we have to be uh, bad word evaluated, right? But typically those go well. And so that's that's something that we've done prior to RSI. And sometimes we did get feedback, uh, we did get pushback on that. Um, and often it was it was under the the notion of academic freedom, but being timely and giving good feedback, I'd I'd never heard in a residential setting as being part of academic freedom. It was something that it was just part of being uh, a faculty member. You know, it's part of teaching, right? For the most part, I like to make up percentages that may be a, a back end of this, but no, I think it was always a. It seems like there was always about a third that that maybe didn't get the mission on why we needed to set these standards and why we needed to assess these standards. A third of people were desperate for them in the faculty ranks and were already doing them. Another third kind of probably could have gone either way. Then sometimes there was a third that you kind of really had to, um, you know, to, to really convert to it. And typically, once they saw the data and the rationale of why this was not only important to students, but to them, that they now have a standard I know what to do. I've been trained on this. I feel confident moving forward. And they typically would make the move and do a great job. I think, I mean, with a lot of us, and um, many of us work together at a you know pretty large online provider in the past, um, you know, the transition from the 16-week residential semester to the maybe eight-week eight week asynchronous online semester, it, it takes a while to internalize what that feels like. Um, so I think, you know, if you're a faculty member, you're teaching, you know, an English class on a 16-week and you take a couple of weeks to get papers back, it's maybe not as big a deal as it is when you've got students that are on half the time schedule and who can't see you by coming by your office. Um, you have to take some time to kind of learn what it feels like to be that online student who's out in Iowa or wherever, um, who doesn't know how to access you, who doesn't know you and doesn't feel comfortable um, just kind of knocking on your door like a residential student who might see you in the dining hall or somewhere like that. Um, so it just it takes some time. And I think um, most people love their students. Um, they want to be effective teachers. And there's just a little bit of a process in getting there. Um, I'm always one of those people. I'm an inbox zero person. So I didn't have any problem with that. Um, But I did find, you know, when I was in a situation to um, field student complaints about online, um, the vast majority of the time the policies protected the faculty member. They provided some much-needed accountability, but we would get a complaint that, you know, faculty member was not responding to whatever. And it turns out, you know, the student had emailed 23 minutes before. That's not a made-up example. That happened over and over and over again. And we could come back and say, no, they have, they have 48 hours. Um, you know, if you haven't heard anything by Friday, let us know. And they never came back. Um, it really hardly ever happened. So the policies really just – they're the ground rules for everyone. Um, reasonable for the students, reasonable for the faculty. Yeah, so even when you say evaluation of those standards, it isn't like somebody sitting over them with the checklist, nope, you did bad. Uh, and often when we go to an institution and we implement these types of things, we actually use the more of a term like coaching yes, <laughs> you yeah. know, or mentors. Uh, so it's taking somebody who's experienced and, and knowledgeable in this area and working with. So the goal is always you know, to simply help people evolve towards this and, and get them on board versus like just 
you know, uh, compliance per se. Absolutely. Yeah. I think again, once, once people see the impact, uh, and the data, you know, these people are in academia for a reason. They're, they're often data driven and, and again, subject matter experts in their field. And, and the data is pretty clear. It's like an if then statement. If we do these pretty simple things to make our online courses consistent and to give students a consistent experience in terms of presence, communication and feedback, they tend to stick around, matriculate in much higher numbers when we do those things. And if you tell administration or faculty that, that the, the ball moves. Yeah. Yeah. So RSI just becomes a tool in their toolbox to exactly. help students engage, you know, with the material and keep them in, involved in the class and the content. Yeah. I mean, for me too, and um, I, you know, I started as a faculty member and that's still probably my, my first hat and the hat I, I like to think of myself as wearing the most often. Um, you know, I, I started in residential classrooms and uh, you teach English, we sit around, we have these long discussions about literature and it's, you know, it's deep and it's just really great. Um, when we had to pivot online with COVID though, I hadn't realized, and I, I wonder for how many years of my 20 or so years of teaching, I hadn't realized this. I had about five students in my class of 20 that weren't talking. And I didn't realize that until we went online and I was trying to reach out to each individual student and realized I suddenly had five more voices that had not been in the conversation before. These were not the strongest students in the class. Um, three of the five of them were students of color. Um, I had created an equity issue in my class without even knowing it. Um, I had sort of made the class revolve around the strongest students that were already comfortable, that were already doing a good job. Um, RSI was a gift for me um, because it let me hear from students that I wouldn't otherwise have easily heard from. And that I think sometimes a more traditional classroom environment might silence um, without anybody meaning any harm. Um, it happens. So I love that we're being asked to do this now because I think it's it's a way for education to do what it can really do, which is to help people have a better life um, by learning skills and by participating in a really vibrant, robust process of learning. Yeah, you make a really good point, Emily, because equity is something that we have seen RSI has really brought to the forefront because especially Southside serves a lot of underpopulated, underserved communities. And we have students who... A, we're not used to advocating for themselves. And so the instructor not reaching out to them meant that their voice was completely silent because they didn't feel comfortable advocating for themselves. But also there's just the issue of students who don't know protocol of college. They're a first, you know, they're the first college student in their family. And they don't have stories of how college is supposed to be. They don't know that it's okay to act like an adult and speak up to other adults. And so what RSI has done is it's forced us all to say, okay, you all are adults and you are a part of this community. You know, it's not me standing here talking down to you. It is all of us interacting together that creates the learning experience. And we've seen just in the last couple of semesters a huge set of minority students especially, but all students coming forward and saying, hey, you know, I suddenly have something that I want to say about the way my course is designed, about the way my course is delivered, uh, about the feedback that I'm getting that we would never have heard before. Yeah, we were recently in a, in a training situation with a client that's about to build out, um, hopefully, a sizable online program. And so we were kind of prepping them on some elements of course design and RSI. And uh, I always get scared when I use this example because I'm, I'm not comparing higher education to a restaurant, but I think a lot of the same psychology and sociology is afoot 
when you think about, you, you use the word, it's about experience. This is an experience. Going to a restaurant is an experience. You can go to a beautiful building that is clean and well-designed for a restaurant. They can serve you a beautiful, your favorite meal, whatever it is. Uh, and if you don't have good service and the they spill your drink on you or don't bring your drink at all or your steak never arrives or, you you know, if you have bad service, you're not going back. And so I kind of used – I asked that question first to lay the groundwork that in this terrible comparison, faculty, staff, and administration in service to our students, they are the server. And so we can create beautiful courses. We can have a beautiful campus or a beautiful IT infrastructure to house this online program in. But if, if you have bad service, the students are going to leave and they're not going to come back. And people tend to get that example. I know uh, it's maybe terrible to compare to a restaurant, but it is about service. No, and, and so in that same token, right, if uh, if your kitchen's super dirty, the health department can come in and take away your certificate, right? <laughs> um, so just segueing over to the fact that the other big, you know, elephant in the room is that RSI is heavily related to the institution's, you know, financial aid uh, mm-hmm. abilities, oh, right, yeah. and with students. And so – Having faculty who aren't on board or trying to to help people understand the significance, not just from learning, but for the institution, um, you know. And so, what what do we do? Are there other little strategies in that element because it is such a big, important thing to the running of the institution? Yeah. So the the crux of this, and you've referenced this, Aaron, is um, what what's happening here is that um, they're trying to distinguish. The government's trying to distinguish between correspondence learning and distance learning. And basically, the difference is that distance learning is interactive. The difference in terms of money is that students who are enrolled in distance programs are eligible for Title IV funds. Um, So if you want your Title IV funds, your Pell, your federal financial aid, whatever else, to come to your institution, you need to be interactive. Um, How this is going to look in enforcement is still unfolding, um, but we do have some examples. Um, The Office of the Inspector General um, levied a pretty pretty substantial fine against a very large um, competency-based online provider in 2017. Um, There have been several discussions between the OIG and regional accreditors about how they're going to define RSI and so on. So this is real. Um, It is coming. But proper course design, little tips, little tricks. um, We just, we get out ahead of this, right? I mean, for everybody's benefit, we need to keep ourselves Title IV eligible. Absolutely. And faculty need to understand, because when you say it's a federal mandate, you know, a small school like mine, People are like, the feds don't even know who we are. <laughs> but, but federal mandates trickle down to your regional accreditor. They trickle down to state departments of education and state organizations that review your courses. And faculty just need to understand that this is not just a if the U.S. Department of Education walks in your door. It's if anyone who has any relation to accreditation comes in. So that's what still leaves this a little bit messy, right, is that number five where it talks about institution or accrediting agencies. Well, many of the accrediting agencies are still trying to figure out what this means to them, right? Accurate. Yes. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. And accrediting agencies, it's it's difficult to be an accrediting agency. I'm defending them. Shock. Um, Because, you know, you may have, for instance, our, in Virginia, our regional accreditor is SACS, um, Southern Association of Colleges and Schools Commission on Colleges. Um, They're accrediting everything from um, technical trade institutes through doctoral level seminaries. 
Um, so they have a set of a set of standards that's broad enough to address all of those, which makes it very hard for them to be highly specific. Um, that being said, I'm, I've been a SACS reviewer in the past, and I'm not speaking on behalf of SACS, but simply saying when I've been on teams, if the institution can say, we have a policy, we have a template, um, we have a set of templates that have been approved through proper channels, and here are some examples of how this is used, golden, that's like accreditation, gold medal joy. Yep. Um, what is not accreditation gold medal joy would be something like, well, all of our faculty do this, and we know because we gave them professional development. Okay, um, they need evidence. Yep. Yeah, we. Uh, I actually reached out to SACS myself for some other federal mandates that we may talk about one day um, just recently, but their response to me was very general and applies to RSI too. They said anytime we come in to review a school we assume that the institution is completely compliant with every federal, state, and local mandate, mm. period. Yeah. <laughs> Had to get that in there. Um, so <laughs> Aaron makes this noise all day long. It's his agreement thinking noise. <laughs> so, what, so what will that look like? I mean, do you, you know, are we going to have uh, RSI reports we're going to have to start sending up to IE offices at varying schools? Will it be collected at that level? Will it be assumed? Will it be, I mean, what do you think? I mean, right now it's at the institutional level. Um, so I think a lot of institutions are probably going to do that. If you just spend a little time Googling, um, there are lots and lots and lots of sets of institutional standards about what RSI should look like, could look like, might look like, absolutely should not look like, yep. so on and so forth. And um, that's usually enforced through institutional effectiveness or through whatever office is overseeing distance learning. Yeah, and schools that use Quality Matters, their new rubric that comes out next year is already going to incorporate RSI and some other elements into it because they understand how important it is. So I think it your quality assurance model and your data assessment of your programs is what's going to have to document. Yes. Um, I would not be surprised to see accreditation mandates moving forward, though. Um, I know over the last couple of decades, but especially the last half a decade, um, the number of federal requirements that are being reflected in regional accreditation standards is going up fast. Um, and there's there's always a bit of a collective learning process on what these look like. Um, so everybody's going to kind of do something the first time, and it'll maybe be throwing a lot of stuff at the wall. And then eventually, eventually we'll figure out what a best practice looks like. But I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that. So let's set, um, let's set the order. doomsday clock, Emily. How, how far out is that, do you think? Uh, pretty quick. I'm thinking a couple of years, probably. I was yeah. going to say 2025. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You heard it here first. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a prophet though. Um, and if I'm wrong, don't hold me responsible. First time for everything. <laughs> we'll just come back and update this segment of the, uh, the thing in a few years to make sure it's uh, it's accurate. There you go. All right. So <laughs> some good discussion overall on the, the sort of, uh, down and dirty of RSI, what it looks like. Uh, but one of the big concerns, you know, that, that often comes up in this space and, and especially in the online higher ed space, right, is the value of a degree uh, and what people are paying for, you know, is the money they're spending, you know, worth what they're getting. And so, you know, in the context of the larger, geez, I went back to Boston real quick, sorry. <laughs> in the context of the uh, the larger uh, <laughs> online higher ed space or, or higher ed overall, uh, how does RSI play into all this? Well, so um, I, I have a personal horror story, and, and this is not actually online related, but it reflects what we're talking about in terms of engagement. 
Both of my kids are young adults. My son is at a four-year institution here in Virginia that shall not be named. Uh, but last year, he was in a major specific course, and there were four tests. And the instructor posted grades after three or four weeks after each test, but never gave the test back. The students didn't know what they missed, were not given any opportunity to get remediated on what they had missed. And my son and a couple of his friends went to the instructor before uh, the final exam and said the final 60% of our grade. We're all failing this class. Everyone in the class is failing. Almost everyone has dropped. We're, you know, some of 10 that are left in the class. We need to know what we missed to have some hope of passing this class by passing the final exam. And the instructor just threw their tests at them and said, you can't take them with you. Sit out in the hallway and write down whatever you want to write down. But, um, you know, that's all I'm going to do for you. (laughs) Exactly, right? (laughs) And um, so they, they spent 10 hours in the hallway going over all of their tests, writing down every single thing that they had missed. But there was no feedback on them because he never intended to return them. So then they all went back and they spent days, they divided up the questions that they had all missed, and they spent days all researching them and sharing the answers with each other. And they all passed um, and did pretty well, but it was purely through peer support. It wasn't through engagement from the faculty member. And I think, especially at a community college like mine, there isn't that level of initiative in a lot of students. There's, you know, a fear of, you know, trying to demand something from a faculty member. So this substantive engagement that's required of faculty is going to prevent that situation, um, especially in online learning. Sure, and that's not just young students either. I mean, in in online, you know, we know our our kind of, you know, yeah, our demographic, right? That that average age is somewhere in that mid thirties, right? Uh, adults, professionals, um, those people are afraid to reach out too. I mean, for maybe different reasons, uh, but everybody's got you know their their things that are kind of creating that situation for them. And so, uh, this doesn't just help the young students, though it does, but it helps all of us when we're in that that space. And, yeah. And even today, we deal with, uh, you know, courses we've gone through and, and audited or, or been in ourselves. And it's, you know, it's a it's a unique environment. And having that instructor reach out and work with you and ensure learning is happening. You know, in a distance course, especially where students have no idea of the personality of the instructor because they haven't shown themselves, you don't really have a good sense of how to approach someone whose humanity you have not encountered yet. And I think that's another reason that this is really good practice is because it gives students the ability to know their faculty members as people and to know, hey, you know, they've got their own quirks and foibles. They are not perfect. Um, And I don't need to feel intimidated to step forward and reach out. You almost have to overplay it in this mode of delivery, right? You have to kind of – I used to get made fun of a lot because my announcements were rife with – uh, smiley faces uh, and, you know, side stories. I wanted them to get that humanity. Yep. And so it it would show, and we were talking about it earlier, and uh, often students will tell you in the end of course survey that I wish my other courses, other professors were like this, and they would even sometimes tell yeah. on, on other professors like we were talking about. A, that makes you feel good uh, from your performance in the course, but at the same time you're like, oh, you know, as a person that was part of that administration and knew that if a student had a bad experience and 
maybe just one section, yeah. they would vote with their feet and sometimes leave. Um, so great point. I mean, I think to come back to your point, Terry, your son had a really good learning experience, though, through no yeah. um, credit to the instructor, um, because he learned in the way that people really learn best, which is in community. Right. Right. Um, you know, he and his peers did a project together. Yeah, essentially. That's exactly right. And I'm sorry that they had to do that. That's very unfortunate. And, you know, poor, great poor students for them. But yeah, but they, they passed the class. Right. right. Um, you know, in an online environment, that can be a lot harder, right? Because you can't sit in the hallway together. That's um, right. So we really do need something on the on the structural level of the course and um, on the personal level of the instructor to help students learn in this way that's good, right? College is not, it's not just a skills dump, right? If it were a skills dump, we would all just go log onto YouTube and learn to do something and take a quiz and then prove we could do it. Um, it's not that, right? It's, it's a way of kind of growing in community and learning with others. And RSI unfortunately has to legislate that into existence, um, but it's a gift. Um, it's also it's a gift to the instructors too, right? Um, I love my students, and um, knowing my students is a good thing for me. Um, I don't always love every individual student equally. Um, <laughs> try to serve them equally. Um, but, what? But in, a, but in a wild, worst, a wild West environment like we were talking about, this, this piece, this human piece, this social piece, this community piece – is widely unexplored and online. Even the the big players um, in the industry haven't really cracked the code here yet. And uh, they've tried all sorts of different things like using social social media, using Messenger within different LMSs, having, you know, live Zoom or, you know, uh, Microsoft Teams meetings. Nothing's really kind of broken through yet that 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 we've seen that is kind of coming the, the standard. So I think it's probably something out of this that will probably, like everything else that's developed in this industry, it's going to be very organic. Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to have to be right. Organic yes. is it's not like all these relationships when you go to a physical campus are are as forced as all of that. That's right. Uh, and and when you get those opportunities online, I mean, you know, I had my own opportunities with that and with an online course where, you know, the, the whole course was a project. And from day one, here's your group, you you four people, you're going to go ahead from the initial assessment uh, all the way through producing your, your final project. Uh, y'all are going to work together. And here's our mandated amount of time. You're going to have to communicate one hour a week and, and send us this and blah, blah, blah. But when it's real and it's kind of becomes a thing you have to do, the four of us, we spent way more time um, and, and implemented our own community. That one hour of sort of imposed community, you know, didn't really mean anything. It was all these additional times. It was late nights on a weekend when everybody was available getting on a, a Skype or yeah, Teams wasn't uh, or Zoom as big of a thing then. But, um, you know, so we would be on Skype for hours talking through and working through the problems, kind of helping each other understand where did we go wrong here? How do we improve that? And that's that's a big deal. Um, I think the other kind of segue of the conversation here is that it's not just online, right? And I think you've kind of hinted towards that. RSI is is focused on online. I think there's so much regulation towards the idea of online because it's kind of its unique entity. But there's a lot to learn here for residential faculty and residential campuses, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my kids aren't college age yet, but, um, you know, if I'm pondering spending, you know, $150,000 or something and sending a student off for a four-year degree on a residential campus, I mean, I want my daughter or my son to come out with something more than the ability to perform some tasks in the workplace, right? I want them to understand how other people think. I want them to be able to communicate in a way that's civil and that's helpful. Um, I want them to be open-minded in a good sense, you know, as an open-minded in order to evaluate 
evaluate ideas and then decide how to act, right, in a way that's that's good for society, um, that makes the world better. And I don't think you can do that just with straight content. That that requires other people, um, and it requires some kind of deliberate interactions with them. It does, absolutely. And it goes back to something we talked about before we started recording, which is the fact that whether it's residential or distance, we have to teach students soft skills because, Aaron, you couldn't have done what you did with your group if you didn't have the ability to work well with others, if you didn't have communication skills and presentation skills. and Wayne's all- questioning that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk offline, Terry. Okay. Uh, but you know, we have to teach students that. You know, employers say today that 96% of them are still looking for college graduates coming out with these soft skills. And I think part of the reason is because online learning has not taught these things, even where residential experience has. Oh, yeah. And and we get into, uh, boy, maybe some future podcasts here already, but uh, start talking about some of that information literacy mm-hmm. and critical thinking skills. And we'll just put that right there. And uh, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Or what are you talking about? Okay. I think that's a, that's a good good set of conversation here, I guess. Is that is that what we say? Um, it would take a, a minute to kind of go around the room, uh, the room, and see if there are any... Uh, last thoughts uh, that anybody has. Maybe start with you, Wayne. Thank you, Aaron. I really appreciate it. You're that. welcome, Wayne. Well, first of all, um, thank you, Terry. Thank you. We, we really appreciate our relationships with um, the community colleges of Virginia. Um, you guys really were out front on this, and it helped us to get out front, honestly. Uh, so we appreciate that. And I would just keep kind of, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a simple guy, and I, and I beat the simple drum of, you know, online is still um, in its early era, and, and, and one thing that I'd like us all to consider out there in the audience is you think about online, or maybe you're not a fan of online or not sure how, how awesome it can be, I always tell the story of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Span, and that was the greatest album ever created, of course, by the greatest <coughs> band ever, the Beatles, but they did that on a four-track, and I don't know if you know what a four-track is, it, it's, it's just what it is, they recorded that album on four tracks and did some pretty creative things to create more tracks out of that. And their philosophy behind that was they told their producer, we don't want to know what, you know, we don't want to think from a standpoint of what we can't do. We want to think of what a standpoint of what is possible. And when you go into an online venture with that attitude uh, at leadership, at the faculty level, at the staff level, and all these areas that we've talked about in terms of course development, academic operations, um, that's the attitude you have to have to kind of transform your online program and transform your campus. So it's, it's an attitude. It's a matter of will. So that's my, my kind of closing thought. I agree with Wayne. Wow. <laughs> Long pause. Um, I will say also um, it's really important to have a leader or a champion on the campus. Um, I know we've we've worked with, you know, a number of leaders over the years. And Terry, I think you're one of them um, who's who are just relentless. You know, they, they really believe in something and they they work really, really hard to bring it about. And um, I, I can't overstate the importance of a figure like that mm. um, to kind of creating buy in to helping people understand the why and the how of things and um, ultimately to making the kinds of differences that we know need to be made. Well, thank you, and thanks to all three of you here at Magellan. I'm going to speak for myself and my boss, who is lurking around the corner somewhere, um, in saying that you all have been amazing partners in helping us put forward this whole policy and program, because it's not an easy ask. 
you know, when the feds come down with the mandate, they usually do it with something that's nearly impossible <laughs> uh, to implement if you don't have a staff of a thousand. But um, as far as RSI is concerned, you know, I hope that faculty will think of this not as something punitive, not as something to be an evaluative uh, process for them, but to put themselves in the shoes of students and say, you know, if it were your son or daughter who was sitting, you know, on that online classroom or in that synchronous Zoom meeting, what would you want the teacher to offer them? What, what would you want to see for them so that they had the best experience? And understanding that all of our students learn differently and not getting to know them means that we don't know exactly what each student needs. Um, just keep that in mind as you develop your course and as you deliver it. Yeah, great point. Yeah, thanks so much, Terry, and uh, and Keith uh, out in the hall somewhere. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's been great to have you here. Um, you know, I, I agree with all three of you. Uh, to me, it's it's just that thing that that got me through being an assessment coordinator, which is uh, if we just focus on the student and the student learning experience and and what that means and and what the higher education experience is supposed to be. This transformative process, not just you know, as Emily pointed out, this sort of content dump. Uh, you know, of information, but, you know, to, to change lives. And, you know, I, I, I'm a firm believer that, that what we do with education is what is going to dictate where we are in the future, you know, uh, as a country, as a, as a global society. Um, so education really does have that power. And if we do it right, uh, we can make the right kind of impact. So uh, thanks, everybody, for uh, listening to the inaugural episode of the Magellan Podcast. Uh, we look forward to speaking with you some more in the future. Thank you for listening to our discussion on RSI. If you enjoyed the podcast today or found it helpful, follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or where you listen to podcasts and leave a review to let us know what you think. Come back next month where we will talk about how to develop a healthy online ecosystem within your schools. If you or your school is looking for help with RSI, consulting, or course development, our team would love to help. Reach out to us at thinkmagellan.com. Thank you for joining us on the Magellan Podcast, Navigating Education in the 21st Century.